0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church, this is our latest weekly message. This podcast episode is a little different from our regular Sunday sermons. It's a straight recording of our Easter Sunday service, which was a creative service that we wrapped around three different artworks, some reflections and music. In order to get the most out of listening to this episode, it would be really worthwhile to click the link in the show notes that takes you to where you can view the artworks. Viewing each artwork as you listen will help you enter more deeply into the experience. We have also kept the recording of the music that Chris played during the service in this podcast, although we know that the quality is not so good. We just felt that you, the listener, would appreciate having that musical space to reflect a little more upon what God might be doing in your own heart as you listen. So for those musos out there and people who love great quality audio, we know this isn't up to standard, but we thought it was better to leave it in than to cut it out altogether. We hope you enjoy this and that you enjoy celebrating the resurrection as much as we did on this Sunday. This is good. Welcome. What uh, we're going to do now for the rest of our service is just do a, uh, a bit of an Easter... Um, story with us participating in it and so over the next little bit we're going to have a few more songs we're going to have a look at some artwork and we're going to do some reflecting and my hope is that in the process of us doing that together as a church family and as each one of us doing that together in our own hearts that God would just bless you this afternoon um, with his goodness and his kindness and his presence, and that you would just feel in your own self that little bit more connected to the beautiful story of God that we celebrate this weekend. Um, so before we get into it, um, I know that at times like this for me, sometimes I just need to take a moment to just be present where I am Um, in my body and in my mind. Um, Being a mum and sitting here for you other parents, we've just had chaos kids and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's messy, but sometimes that can just set your heart rate a little bit faster. I don't know, maybe it's just me. But sometimes if I just want to really bring myself to God, I just need to do it in some silence. So what I want to invite you to do is just close your eyes Feel yourself sitting where you are. Take a few deep breaths in and out. Let your lungs fill with the breath of God. And as you're just taking this moment, I just want to invite you to say a prayer in your heart to God that just invites him to come and speak to you this afternoon. Loving God, we just bring ourselves to you. We bring ourselves as we are, not as we think we should be. And we just say, Holy Spirit, that we welcome your voice and we welcome your guidance to our life this afternoon. Amen. As I've been um, reflecting and thinking about us gathering together on this Resurrection Sunday, the thing that's been um, running through my mind the most is the idea that this great story that we celebrate on this weekend um, is not just a truthful story that we need to know that we need to understand or that we need to believe in, but actually that God invites each one of us to participate in his story. And so the story of Easter isn't just something we agree to, like that's a nice idea or a truth that we uphold, but it's a story we enter with our lives. As God says to us, as Jesus walked this earth and said, come follow me, We do that. We follow him. And in our following, we enter into his story in all of its fullness. But in particular, on this weekend, we um, have the opportunity to afresh participate in the story of Easter, into the story of Jesus on the cross and in the grave and rising again. And so I want to lay before us this afternoon just the opportunity to do that. Just like Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live in the body. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is participation language. This is not observation and belief language. This is, I have been crucified with Christ. And the life I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God. It's a living story that Jesus invites us into. So what I want us to do is just have a look at three different artworks that span um, the time from Good Friday to Easter Saturday and to Resurrection Sunday to have some reflections, to ask some questions and throughout it, Chris is going to play some songs. So, I'm going to have, this is very technical for us here at Central, we've got two screens, this this may totally fall apart, Um, but I'm going to have the artworks up here on the big screen, there's going to be a few other things happening here, but I also have some copies of the artwork, but I only have 25 because, I don't know, why? Because, yeah, because my husband's cheap is what he said. He went to Officeworks to print them out. So, Julia, do you just want to randomly hand these out? Um, Maybe you can share one between a few people. If if you'd rather just look at the screen, feel free to, like, reject the paper copy. If you're an environmentalist, feel free to reject the paper copy too. Um, But we're going to have a look. So, the first um, image that we're going to just contemplate is this one. So this is an artwork called Saint Dominic Adoring the Crucifixion. And it's by someone, a man called Fra Angelico, and it was painted in 1441 to 1442, and it's a fresco on the wall of the Basilica di San Marco in Florence, Italy. So this is actually painted on a church wall, much sexier than our church walls, Um, and it's quite old. So this is the thing we're going to contemplate when we when we're coming to the cross. What you find when you start to look at images of the crucifixion throughout history is that you'll often find that older art depicting the crucifixion is is beautiful. As opposed to more modern depictions of good friday And the crucifixion, which uh, tend to become a little bit more brutal. Hence, you know, our Passion of the Christ, which was a wonderful piece of um, videography, but in its expression is very brutal. But when you're looking at ancient art of the crucifixion, you don't often capture brutality. In fact, many of the images are really quite beautiful, and. When I used to look at this sort of stuff, I used to think, oh, you know, being a good Protestant girl, um, it's because they don't get it. Like, they don't get what it costs Jesus to save me, you know. This is what it costs Jesus to save me. These nice pictures of the crucifixion, they don't really get it. But the more I've come to appreciate, probably appreciate art, and also contemplate Jesus, the more I've come to realise that I'm actually beginning to understand what they perhaps knew all along. And that is that the longer you gaze at the crucified Jesus, the more beautiful it becomes and it ceases to become a thing of brutality, but it becomes a thing of beauty. And in our wonderful Protestant reforming, we celebrate the empty cross, which is fine. We don't have Jesus rarely pictured on the cross, and I grew up thinking that we were right and they were wrong, because Jesus is risen, right? He's not on the cross anymore, so you know, we should look at the empty cross rather than the Jesus on the cross cross bit. But again, the more I'm contemplating the crucifixion and the story and trying to enter and participate in this, the more I realise that there is actually something wonderful about seeing Jesus on the cross. And in fact, there are theologians who have written that if you want to see the most beautiful expression of the Trinitarian God, then you need to look at Jesus on the cross because that is God at his fullest. And so looking at an empty cross sometimes doesn't quite have the same feel to it. It's a bit, it's kind of like the difference between an emoji and a real face. Um, I mean, an emoji is cool and we'll use it a lot, but it's nothing compared to a real face. And I've come to think that the crucifixion is a little bit like that. Brad Jozak says this, We can think of the crucifixion as what we did to Jesus, the sin of torturing and murdering God's son. And we can think of the cross as what Jesus did for us, offering his life in self-giving love, and radical forgiveness. And so when we gaze at the crucified Jesus, we see in what's painted so beautifully in these artworks that God takes brutality and makes it beautiful. He takes horror and makes it holy. He turns ugliness into glory, both in us and in the world. That is what we get to reflect on when we reflect on these quite beautiful images of Jesus. Richard Raw says this, Once the killing of God becomes the redemption of the world, then forevermore the very worst things have the power to become the very best things. This is the truth of the crucifixion. This is the truth of the cross, that what we did to Jesus when we crucified him God turns into his glorious, beautiful work on the cross and he takes what was ugly and makes it beautiful. And that's the business that God is in, in our world, in your heart, in our lives, in our church, in our suburbs, that he turns ugliness into beauty. And I think this is what Fra Angelico is capturing in this beautiful fresco. So if we just have a look at it, I feel like when you look at this, there's something so simple about this picture. It's it's almost, you could say, really elegant. And of course, it's painted on the wall of a church, so it's, it's much bigger than even what we're seeing up, up on that screen. If you can look closely in if you can see it on on your printed copy and actually there's a spare, so if anyone was like burning to have one, this is your opportunity. Um, There is a bit of blood um, in this painting but not gory amounts. I love in this the billowing cloth around Jesus' loins, I guess you can call it. It's It's almost like he's caught in a gentle breeze. And that white cloth against the deep midnight blue of the background is beautiful. And we have Saint Dominic on his knees embracing the wood of the cross in like a beautiful expression of humility. And in this painting, Fra Angelico, like he's painted St. Dominic's head as even lower than the feet of Jesus. Just a beautiful picture of humility. That even, you know, the crown of our head kneeling at the cross is lower than the lowest part of the crucified Jesus who is dying And while St. Dominic's sort of embracing the wood of the cross, to me when I look at this and when I've spent some time just contemplating this artwork, for me it's Jesus's arms that are in the biggest embrace in this picture. It's in the way that the painter has captured the, the held-out hands of Jesus. It's like... He is there with a wide enough outstretched embrace to encompass the entire world. And so we have St. Dominic kneeling and embracing the thin wood of the cross. But we have this picture of Jesus' arms stretched out far enough to embrace all of the cosmos. And so to me it's the embrace of Jesus that's far wider in this picture. And the title of this is St. Dominic Adoring the Crucifixion. But if you ask me and you look at the faces, like the face of St. Dominic is sort of like looking, but to me it's the face of Jesus that is adoring. It is like it is Jesus who is adoring St. Dominic, not St. Dominic adoring Jesus. I mean, you could argue that Jesus is dead in that scene and his head's flopped down. But there's something about the way, the tilt tilt of his head, the downcast look of his eyes that make me think it's Jesus adoring St. Dominic kneeling at the foot of the cross, not the other way around. And when I look at that, I think, Jesus, you're utterly beautiful. And I want to be the one caught up kneeling at the foot of the cross, being gazed at like that by Jesus. I want to be caught in that embrace. And so my first invitation to you this afternoon is I want to ask you this. What is something ugly, brutal, awful in you or that you see in this world that you feel most connected to today? So really this is a question for you, where you're at in your own life, in your own heart as you sit in this chair today. What is that thing that you feel most easily able to connect to when it comes to the ugliness of this world? Maybe it's some kind of injustice. Maybe it's an issue you're passionate about in terms of God making this world right. Maybe it's something in your own heart, in your own life that you're just aware of. And I wonder if today you can trust that God can turn even that into something beautiful and holy. That you can connect with our crucified Lord and trust him that he takes ugly things and makes them beautiful both in our own lives and in this world. And so as Chris plays this song for us, I just want you to sit and I want you to pray. You can close your eyes. We've got the words on the screen if you want to follow along. If you want to sing, you can sing, but you don't have to. But my invitation to you would just be to talk to Jesus, to picture yourself as Saint Dominic kneeling at the foot of the cross, caught in the beautiful gaze of Jesus and have a conversation with him about turning horrible things into holy things Can we do that thanks chris
1: when i survey the wondrous cross of glory died my richest gain So amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my own.
0: We say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We place ourselves under the waterfall of your mercy. And we say, Lord Jesus, take what is ugly in us and make it beautiful. Take what is horrible in this world and make it holy. Amen. can I get someone to get me a drink of water I'm going to like oh thanks Michael next um, artwork for us to look at is um, <coughs> this one the Lamentation Over the Dead Christ by Andrea Mantegna about 1480 thank you I've been looking at this one fairly regularly throughout Lent, and as I've been doing that, I've been thinking about the invitation um, from Jesus to follow him, and I guess just paying witness to the reality that Jesus went unto death, that that was the path that was laid out in front of him, and is also the path that we're invited to follow in. And I guess I've been reflecting on our own cultures, uh, unfamiliar familiarness, I can't say that, I can never say unfamiliar, familiar, familiarity, I can never say that word, that, that we don't, we don't embrace death, we don't talk about death. We don't uh, see death, we don't witness it, we close it off. And so death is more unusual for us. And so I invite you to look at the dead Jesus and to contemplate death for a minute. Callisto Swear writes, We should not say that Christ has suffered instead of us, but rather that he has suffered on our behalf. The Son of God suffered unto death, not that we might be exempt from suffering, but that our suffering might be like his. Christ offers us not a way round suffering, but a way through it. Not substitution, but saving companionship. And I, re- re- reading that was reminded of my most hated and most loved um, analogy by a theologian I've read, uh, Robert Farah Capon, who says that the story of the gospel, the four gospels that we read in our Bible, the story of the four gospels is essentially a story that goes like this. There is a drowning girl in the ocean and Jesus comes and stands on the beach along with everyone else who's watching this girl struggle in the ocean and he swims out to her but instead of saving her and doing the cross chest carry and bringing her back into shore, he simply stays with her and dies with her. And three days later, he appears to those waiting on the beach and says, don't worry, I've got this. Which is, a, your face is my, my face when I first read that. And I was like horrified that this man would write such a thing because for me, the salvation, victory, gospel message was the one I already always was told. But I think the story of the gospels is one that tells us of a God who comes and enters into everything with us, even unto death, in order to save us from death. But he doesn't, it's not immunity from death, it's saving companionship in death, and the faith and the hope and the trust that he's got this. There's no other kind of conclusion you can come to when you consider the fact that he actually just came to this earth and he died. Like on Saturday, he lay dead in the tomb. In this artwork, there is something so human about this Jesus. Oh, It's, it's in his toes. <laughs> and the wrinkles on his feet and the toenails on the Son of God. It's in the tilt of his head and the fact that if you look close enough, you can see his nipples. Which, you know, that artist just, you know, could have thought I could just not have the nipples on Jesus, but no, he, he, and they're like, they're there. Can you see them? They're broken out. Anyway, there's something very human about this picture. There is a lifelessness to this picture. And for me, it's in the fingers. It's in the way that it looks like someone has picked up the body of the dead Christ and carried it and placed it on that stone-cold slab of marble and as the hand and the fingers fell, it was left there. Like, this isn't like the I'm asleep picture. This is the, like, I'm dead Picture. But the longer I've gazed at this, for me, although it's clear that this is a, a dead Jesus, I think I feel a real tenderness when I look at this image. Maybe that's in the colours, but I also think it's in the fact that clearly somebody has washed the body of Jesus. This is not we've just taken him down off the cross and he's still got blood everywhere and we've just shoved him in a tomb because we know he's going to rise again. This is the attention that people who are very familiar with death pay to bodies when they die. This is the image of the truth that someone took Jesus' body and carried water, because there wasn't taps and a you know stainless steel bench with a sink in it, but carried water long distances and bathed God and cleaned his wounds. And if you look closely in the far corner, there is a jar where presumably they've kept the oil and the spices and they have rubbed that oil into the cold flesh of God to anoint him in death. And there is something for me so tender and beautiful and confronting about that when I think could I do that could I do that to Jesus if he disappointed me could I do that to him if I thought that he was the answer but clearly he wasn't could I love him like that when my heart was broken could I I don't know but somebody did In the Gospel of John, it talks about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking the body, men who had probably quietly followed this would-be Messiah who anoint him and wrap him and place him in the tomb. It feels like death in this picture is dignified and honourable. And that God, the creator of the universe, has embraced it and is present to it and is held by it. And then there's the women who are painted so old, like this loss has aged them immensely. And this image, the longer I've looked at it, I've thought, this feels silent for me, this picture, like the silence of the grave. And yet when you look at the mouths of the women, their mouths are open, which probably meant they were making the sound of weeping and sobbing. And you know that, <sighs> that, that noise would have filled this tomb this grief. And the name of this painting is so final, the lamentation over the dead Christ. Like there's no zhuzhing up, the, oh, he's just in between, you know. This is like the reality of the finality of the death of Jesus in the tomb on the Saturday. And I think, you know, of most of the expressions of art or even just in my own thinking when I imagine this story, most of the time I either imagine Jesus like dying, he's like dying, he's like in the process of dying on the cross or, you know, he's risen again already and I kind of tend to skip over the in-between part or if I do imagine it or if I have seen it depicted, it's almost like... It's just there's the tomb with the stone in front of it. You know like maybe he's in there, maybe he's not, but we're not really sure and we're not looking at him and we're paying him no attention and possibly he's somewhere in the underworld doing business, but we're not really sure what was going on. Do you know what I mean? That's 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 the kind of I don't I don't I don't picture that. And yeah, as I've just been contemplating this I feel like this picture invites us to be present to the dead Christ do we even follow him here do we go that far or perhaps we should say does he even follow us there does he go that far yes he does even unto death. And I wonder, in a culture of triumphant, victorious Christianity, what it looks like for us to be present to what has died or what is dying inside of us, knowing that Jesus is in us, and with us and present to us in our suffering and in our death. And so I want to ask you this afternoon, what is it, if you know, that is dying or dead in you? Are there things that are in your heart, perhaps, deeply buried, to which there has been a kind of death that perhaps you have not paid much attention to. That maybe Jesus is waiting for you in that death to be present. I think for many of us, and I don't know everyone's story, but I think for many of us some of the death we experience some of the grief, the sadness, the loss it's often around the thought of I didn't think life would be like this I didn't think this is the way it was going to turn out and when we say those words out loud it's like acknowledging that something has died or is dying inside of us even if it's just our own expectations. Things like, I thought I would be married by now. I thought I'd still be married right now. I did not expect marriage to be this hard. I thought I'd just fall pregnant. I didn't think I'd bury a child, that I'd bleed out a child. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect parenting to be this hard. I didn't think my child would grow up to be like this, to do this, to say this, whatever. I didn't imagine this fill in the blank in my life. I didn't imagine illness like this. I didn't imagine cancer like this. I didn't imagine pain in my body. I didn't imagine anxiety. I didn't imagine trauma would come my way. I didn't imagine this loss, this grief, this addiction, this wrestle. like Those things, those very real things in our lives, those things that feel like death, those things that make our life feel like we're lying on a cold marble slab and we wonder, where is God? And God is lying on that cold marble slab with you in solidarity, in companionship. You do not die alone present even unto death. And I don't think Jesus is as bothered with our dying or our death or our drowning as we are. (laughs) I really do think he's got this. Therefore, we can entrust our dying to him, all our thousand little dyings and our death in the end because he does have this. And so I just want to invite you in this moment to sit in your deadness with Jesus. Maybe as I've been speaking, you know that there's been something that's just kind of risen up in your heart, in your body. You felt it, that you know, yeah, I can connect. I didn't think it would be like this. And my invitation would just be to look upon the dead Christ and know that he's with you in all of that loneliness and emptiness and pain. Maybe you see yourself with the women who are grieving and just need to give yourself permission to grieve something. Or maybe the invitation for those of us who don't connect with anything is to just see our old self. You know that old self that Paul writes about? Like, I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. Maybe the invitation is to actually see ourselves on that cold marble slab and say, yeah, God, I need to keep dying to my old self. The old has gone, the new has come. Help me kill the old. The new needs to keep coming. And so Chris is just going to play us another song and take another moment just to pray and sit and talk to Jesus about what's going on for you.
1: The son of sorrow. Our hope. Let it be buried. In the crown.
0: Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Jesus, we put ourselves under the waterfall of your mercy today. And so we come to resurrection. On the third day and I have the Orthodox icon of the resurrection when you know the grave in you can become a temple in you you clear your throat find your voice and tell anyone who will listen Love is on his feet again. This is the resurrection. I'm not sure who painted this one. Maybe someone called Nicolaj. Nicolaj? Nicolaj? It's an Orthodox icon. I love the colours in this. The yellow, the gold. There is light. Blazing from Jesus, he's like the sun. This image is full of hope and joy. If you have a look at the top of this picture, it's like the mountains are divided. It is like saying this resurrection thing is not just about people. This is about all creation. It shakes the earth. And when the Son of God is on his feet again, all creation rends itself to him. And it is similar to the temple curtain being torn into. It is about creation and all groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. And so we have Jesus in this picture. And he's standing on two doors, the doors to death. And they have been flung off their hinges and they are shaped in the cross because the cross conquers death. And Jesus has people next to him on on, on Christ's right, which is... Our left, is that right? As you're looking at, yeah, yeah. They, you know, I mean, like, you, it's kind of hard to tell who these people are, but um, I'm told that these are members of Christ's family. John the Baptist, King David, King Solomon. It's the lineage of Jesus on the right-hand side of Jesus. And on the left, we have Abel, the first man to be unjustly murdered by his brother, And we have possibly Moses and Elijah and other faithful followers of God through the Old Testament. Now, this is an icon. Now, I grew up believing that icons were evil um, and they should be burned. I mean, no one actually said that to me, but that was the gist of, you know, my good Christian upbringing, that such things like this were not proper and not biblical and shouldn't be looked at. And yet when you understand the history of icons and understand that they were the Bible to an illiterate population, you start to understand how smart these people were in teaching theology. Because they were communicating some of the most powerful truths of our scriptures to a group of people who could not read by painting them in beautiful form. And so I have come to love especially this. And I meant to bring, we have, we have this on wood, and I forgot to bring it. So Jesus is standing on the doors of death. Underneath, tied up, hands behind his back, bound and strung up, is death. And all surrounding death and under Jesus' feet in the black are locks and keys. Because Jesus has stolen the keys to the grave and the doors are flung open wide. And Jesus is holding the hands of two people and he is pulling them up out of the grave They are Adam and they are Eve and they are the personification of humanity rising with the resurrected Christ. Jesus has descended into death and he has conquered death and he has tied death up and he has broken down the doors and now life eternal even resides in the grave And all humanity is rising with the risen Jesus. It is like Jesus has become the gigantic magnet to which everything is being pulled into the orbit of a loving God, starting with Adam and Eve and leading the train of glory right through to us. This is the resurrection. Death came through a man. The resurrection also comes through a man. For in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is the good news of the resurrection. Death has been swallowed up in victory. A new day has dawned. Nothing is ever the same again because resurrection is the new state of life in our world today. The patriarch Athenagoras says this, The resurrection is not just the resuscitation of a body. It is the beginning of the transfiguration of the world. What began on that day thousands of years ago is continuing today. uh, Death is swallowed up and resurrection life is pouring forth and we get to participate in it if we have the eyes to see. I read this quote this week. Resurrection has consequences. I love that. Because everywhere I go, I just hear that sin has consequences. How many times have you heard that sin has consequences? And look, fair call, it does. But there is a new state of being, which is resurrection has consequences. Much greater consequences than sin ever had. Because our Lord and King has conquered sin and death and has opened up a new way of life through which we now enter and live as sons and daughters of the King. Resurrection has consequences. Everywhere you go, in every small thing you do, you are ushering forth the resurrection life of Jesus in everything you touch. In every person you meet, in every plant that you grow, in every mountain that you climb, you are ushering in a new way of being as a son and a daughter of the king who worships God and honors him with your life. This is resurrection. This is so good news. It is the beginning of God making everything new. The world is forever changed. There is always hope. Love is on his feet again and new life is breaking out everywhere. And can you trust that? Can you trust that in a world that often doesn't look like that's the case? Do you have faith that the Son of God risen from the dead has changed the state of the world and that the future is now heading in a new direction full of life and hope and love and holiness? And will you participate in that? We're gonna drink champagne tonight, and so someone needs to start pouring it because. Yeah, can several people start pouring the champagne? And um, and there's non-alcoholic champagne, so. And don't hit anyone in the head with a cork. But um, N.T. Wright. I love N.T. Wright. He says this, Easter ought to be an eight-day festival with champagne served after morning prayer or even before with lots of alleluias and extra hymns and spectacular anthems. Is it any wonder that people find it hard to believe in the resurrection of Jesus if we don't throw our hats in the air? I mean, mean, you know, you have a hat, but most people don't have a hat. I, I, my, yeah, you know, like, we, this is resurrection life. This is our day of celebration. This is new life, breaking forth everywhere. And it is to be celebrated and enjoyed and, and all good things. And what we're going to do is, we're going to do something, if we can coordinate this. I want everyone to have a glass in their hand. And I am going to read out an excerpt from John Chrysostom's Easter sermon, which was so good hundreds of years ago when he did it, that it is read every Resurrection Sunday in the Orthodox Church, his sermon. So like, they just sort of think you cannot beat this guy's sermon, so they just repeat it every year. So I'm going to read an excerpt of it because honestly, if that doesn't get you on your feet and a little bit of joy rising in your heart, I don't know what will. So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna grab a drink. I'm gonna read this out while we're standing and then we're gonna sing one last song. And we're gonna just enter into resurrection life. And I would like you to just bring your hope, bring your desire for joy, bring your need for love to be on his feet again in your life and sing and believe and hope and trust with all of us that God is good and that he's got this and that it will be okay in the end and we can get caught up in the story and it's a story worth getting caught up in. So what... A, non-alcoholic, alcohol, are these alcoholic? These are alcoholic yep. alcohol. Who wants alcohol? <laughs> yeah, you can deliver some. Oh, well, come and get them. I've got... Who wants... Alcohol? On okay. Yeah. okay, while they're just pouring the last um, little bit, let me just give you a tiny bit of context for this short, short Easter speech that I'm going to read out. So it, it was St. John Chrysostom in the Orthodox Church. Of course, all the people listening to this would have participated in Lent. So they would have been fasting for a period of 40 days and it's a serious thing in, uh, to, to sacrifice, to enter into and participate in like the suffering of Jesus through the giving up of food and other things. And so he's talking a lot about, I suppose, the concept that some of these people here have some of these people maybe in our midst, some have fasted and done that faithfully from day one and other people have been a little bit slack and haven't actually fasted much at all. And he's talking to them about all of that. I just feel like I need some. So, brilliant. Okay, are we good? All right. I feel like you need to be on your feet for this. So maybe stand. Are there any who are devout lovers of God? Let them enjoy this beautiful, bright festival. Are there any who are grateful servants? Let them rejoice and enter into the joy of their Lord. Are there any weary with fasting? Let them now receive their wages First and last alike, receive your reward. Rich and poor, rejoice together. Sober and slothful, celebrate the day. You that have kept the fast and you that have not, rejoice today for the table is richly laden. "'Feast royally on it, the calf is a fatted one. "'Let no one go away hungry, "'partake all of the cup of faith. "'Enjoy all the riches of his goodness. "'Let no one grieve at his poverty, "'for the universal kingdom has been revealed. "'Let no one mourn that he has fallen again and again, "'for forgiveness has risen from the grave.' Let no one fear death, for the death of our Saviour has set us free. He has destroyed it by enduring it. He destroyed hell when he descended into it. He put it into an uproar even as it tasted of his flesh. Isaiah foretold this when he said, You, O hell, have been troubled by encountering him below. Hell was in an uproar because it was done away with. It was in an uproar because it has been mocked. It was in an uproar for it is destroyed. It is in an uproar for it is annihilated. It is in an uproar for now it has been made captive hell took a body and discovered God it took earth and encountered heaven it took what it saw and was overcome by what it could not see O oh death where is thy sting oh hell where is thy victory Christ is risen and you, O death, are annihilated. Christ is risen and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is liberated. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ having risen from the dead, is become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Wow, let's drink. I'll let Chris have a drink. We're going to sing one last song together, an anthem of celebration.
1: will make us one glory 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 hallelujah glory glory hallelujah glory glory hallelujah your peace will make us Us one your peace, your peace will make us one, his peace, his peace will make us one, your peace will make us one, your peace will make us one. one. Your peace will make us one. Amen.
0: God, we thank you. You are good. You are good. You are very good. So go this evening in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, taking with you the joy of his resurrection, the promise of your own, the end to death and life everlasting. May this week be one filled with peace and love and joy and the scent of resurrected life all around you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.